So, so here, here at TMK, uh, I know, I know it's August, and uh, last year we had we had sweeps month. We're gonna start our 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 first free episode of uh, of August off with a little bit of, I don't know, a little bit of Seinfeld festivist uh, style airing of grievances. Uh, and I think I think Jason's got a pretty big pretty big bugaboo. He, I think he's got a booger to pick with somebody, Jason. <laughs> uh yeah no i got i'm I'm here to air my grievances uh and and i will not i am not asking for absolution because i did nothing wrong um i never did nothing wrong wasn't me uh (laughs) no so i i I am done i think i'm done talking to the media about virtual real estate in particular it's like been I, i got burned uh by it and that the topic is it's it's just too prone to real like Maybe more so than even a lot of the crypto shit and the, you know, weirdly like, you know, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, like I think there's been a, a bit more of a kind of, you know, there's been a crash. There's been a kind of critical outlook like, ooh, maybe this isn't what people say it was. But for whatever reason, the metaverse and virtual re- real, virtual real estate has still like got people hooked. And, and, and the way the media f- frames it and approaches the topic tends to be so, so poorly. So I got burned recently. I was asked to be on a TV show in Australia called The Project. Uh, it's like very popular. I don't know. It's kind of like The View or something like that, right? It's like a kind of panel talk show, news analysis, kind of, you know, puff pieces, human interest, that kind of stuff. Everybody watches it, right? So I was like, and they were running a segment about virtual real estate. And I did a pre-interview on the phone with a producer and we talked for a very long time. I laid out my whole analysis and critique of the political economy of virtual real estate, uh, you know, very clearly describing how it, it's bullshit, how it doesn't work the way it's, you know, it, it doesn't work anything like real estate. It's untethered from reality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The good old TMK analysis of this stuff she seemed like really into it, really down. It was like, this is great. Let's yeah, love to get you on camera for the actual segments. I was like, awesome. Um, and you know, a couple months earlier, I had done uh, an on-camera uh, produced segment for Sunrise, which is one of our extremely popular morning TV, daily TV show, news analysis, commentary, kind of like you know, Good Morning America type of thing for American listeners. And, and they did a segment on virtual real estate and it was great. It was framed really well. Um, I mean, in large part, cause it was like a five minute segment and I was talking, I was the main person talking, uh, for the segment. Um, and so it was obviously framed, uh, in a really critical way, very informative, kind of deflating the idea of virtual real estate. So I was lulled into a false sense of security by that. So fast forward couple months later, you know, last week doing this thing for the project, you know, they, they come, they're interviewing me on camera. It's a different producer doing the interview. And ultimately I think in charge of the segment itself, getting a weird vibe, like, you know, we were doing the interview, but she didn't really seem all that into it. Didn't really seem like I was saying the things she wanted me to say, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, then a week later, you know, the, the segment actually comes out and I watch it it's five minutes, you know, I find it online. I watch it immediately framed as a lot of Australians are finding it really difficult and too expensive to get into the real estate market. 
could virtual real estate be a feasible alternative? Immediately. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> you should ask that producer to disclose their uh, virtual real estate holdings before you did the interview. <laughs> no, seriously. No joke, man. So most, you know, the people getting the most airtime in this segment for for the you know it's like only five six minutes the first like three four minutes is just like mainly two people one is a a, a couple who live in Sydney who are like um, you know talking about how virtual real estate is great because you know they have a small apartment in Sydney with you know not a ton of space or anything and it's like yeah it's true but then they're like but you know we bought our virtual penthouse in in you know one of the metaverses and that's where we can go to you know socialize with friends and family have you know date nights and at you know at our rooftop cinema in our virtual penthouse uh you know we can see people who live all over the world it's like so immediately talking about how amazing this is as basically like you know you can live your ready player one uh, you know, reality of being in like, you know, uh, a small cramped uh, apartment in a, you know, six story walk up or whatever, but you can live that life of luxury and decadence in, in virtual real, real reality. You know, yeah, Jason, I've been trying for years uh, to get a, a beachside penthouse overlooking a pixelated blob of water. And, <laughs> you know, this, I'm me, this is my chance. This is my chance to get the ugliest dog shit fucking view and put it on a low res screen <laughs> and share screenshots of it with people and let them know that I'm living the life. That's Insane. Right. Virtual real estate. I, you know, man, I can't. If you, I don't, I feel part of me, I feel deeply sorry for anyone who buys it, but also it's like, come on, man, what are you doing? What's up? What are, what are the kid? what are the kids going to do when they grow up after they've, they fought in the Roblox wars? Of course, they're going to want to retire to their penthouse yeah. so they can see the, the big, the pixelated ocean and the horizon. I don't want to call people idiots, but come on, man, stand up. What's up? Come on. Why are you buying a house in the fucking in in second life? A quote unquote house cuz ain't nothing real estate you know there there's nothing real estate approximate to this shit. Um but Jeremy you joke but that is actually one of the arguments for some of the people uh, interviewed in this segment was that they're uh investing in these properties to build generational wealth through virtual real estate, you know, yeah, this is something my children these, can have. Yeah. They don't pass these <laughs> assets on to, to, to my children, you know, that's going to be their inheritance. I can imagine them talking to the, to their kill their children. And you know, you know, those times that mommy disassociated with her VR goggles on, well, you can have the place where she went when she didn't want to be a parent. <laughs> you know that shitty house that you built in Roblox? Someone built a copy of it, and we're gonna buy it for three hundred thousand dollars, and that's your <laughs> that's college right. investment now. That's your life saving. That's your nest egg. But but in reality, we don't actually own the uh, like the the digital assets. We just own an NFT that says yeah. we own. Yeah, the, yeah. the digital. I got assets an Instagram ad for. I got an Instagram ad for a building in, in Manhattan that was being sold with an NFT of the deed was being sold. And they promised 
that if you bought the NFT, then you would own the building. <laughs> Is this the same motherfucker selling colors? The Might same as well. Honestly, same energy. <laughs> Those people, I would love to check in on them. You know, I might, I should probably, one thing I've been thinking about doing is like a bunch of where are they now posts. Just following up with some of my favorite batshit uh, crypto projects and seeing, hey, you know, where are the poop NFTs going? Where are the color NFTs going? Where are the shit covered ape NFTs going? Where are the death NFTs going? So tune go- in later this week for this episode on the premium feed where we revisit <laughs> Some fuckers who don't deserve to be revisited, but only to and we may you you write in checks that we may not want to cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so go on, you know, to move on, right? Like, so they they also then in this segment give a lot of airtime to this dude who has invested in like dozens of you know virtual real estate plots and Hell also yeah. runs a very popular Discord called the Crypto Den. Oh my god! Why, why do they all sound like serial killer dens? Like every single Discord for some crypto community, the Exo Lab. Yeah, that's where we flay your skin den. open and give you an <laughs> NFT. I love it, crypto den. So this, so this is who they're giving all this airtime to in this segment, right? And then cut, and then like you know, like four minutes in or whatever, you know, into this five minute segment, you know, they 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 gotta have the token. Well, some people say that this is you know all a all, all a pipe dream you know and that you should be wary and then it cuts to me being like you know just just one sentence of this like 40 minute in you know on camera interview that i did they clipped one sentence of me being like you know people have lost millions and millions of dollars in this you know it's a bubble that just keeps expanding and, and expanding and expanding until one day it burst and then immediately cut to the dude who runs crypto dan being like no, it's not. That's what they said doing that too. <laughs> you know. I love it. They they cut they showed him your one sentence and they're like, thoughts? Rebuttals? Yeah, and his rebuttal is, no, it's not. Nuh-uh. <laughs> You're just saying that, Jason. You don't mean that. You're being okay. rude. And then of course, you know, uh, letting him draw that also like fallacious analogy to being like, you know, well, this is actually like the early days of the internet. And people said the internet was gonna crash as well. And then it moves on and then like the like you know the segment ends very soon after that. So I don't know. Um the project you you on you on blast, you on you on my shit list. Uh and and because of them, I'm I'm just done. Like I'm done talking about virtual real estate to uh to the media unless it's like like I'll do it on podcasts, I'll do it in long form, I'll do it in places where I can, you know, have more control over uh what actually goes out. But like doing shit that I can be like chopped and screwed and, and plugged into somebody's agenda uh, or taken out of context or whatever, like, you know, I'm done with that. I, I, I hate it because I hate doing that because it makes me sound like I'm done with the fake news media, but also I am done with fake news media. <laughs> but also you're taking a stand for truth, you know? That's right. I'm, I'm, a, tr- I'm a warrior for truth, dog. <laughs> Someone has to do it. I think that's really funny that they just, they're like, hey, Jathan, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, we're also going to, we're pumping, okay? You can't be talking too much shit because we're about to roll out. I mean, it would be funny if they did roll out their own thing. I feel like some media companies have uh, definitely done metaverse and uh, virtual real estate shit. 
why? Who knows? But um, it's there. And I'm, I'm curious what other institutions are going to start doing it now. I saw a pension fund, uh, Virginia cops going into uh, yield farming. Um, you know, I'm excited. Like, who's gonna who's gonna have the first office in the metaverse? And then they're gonna say it's remote work, or that you have to come into the office, but you just have to go to the metaverse office. Well, exactly. I mean, uh, one. one if there's a police pension fund investing in yield farming and like virtual real estate, <laughs> that's actually praxis. Because yeah. <laughs> that is that's going to eventually uh, crash and drain that police pension fund. <laughs> that's right. praxis. Right. That is. Um, there's some like and there's some uh, you know a cab uh, investment manager working at that at that pension fund. I have this. Fascinating project that'll allow you to better serve the public's needs for safety and order, right? Just put your money into this volatile asset. In response, you get a a, a, a Bitcoin thin blue line sticker. Oh my god! Or an NFT. Bro, that I can't even exist. imagine NFT of a gun. I think that's probably something that they would want, right? Why didn't we have this riff like? like a year and a half ago because I, I I absolutely would have made an NFT of the thin blue line flag and <laughs> NFT of shit like that and then just sold it to some oh yeah like, dude I mean listen it's not too late this pension fund union. <laughs> this pension fund is getting in you can still make that money Jathan okay uh, maybe it's okay to sell NFTs if they're two police groups yeah I, I mean I think it's actually fine to use the master's tools to disassemble the master's <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fine to use NFTs to scam millions of dollars out of uh, police pension funds and unions and stuff like police unions, uh, stuff like that. <laughs> That's fine, actually. You heard it here first. Um, leftists hypocritically endorse NFTs <laughs> to undermine uh, police. I'll, I'll, at this rate, I'll use any tools available. <laughs> <laughs> If, uh, if if it takes NFTs to defund the police, I will hold my nose and take that <laughs> medicine. That's right. <laughs> you know, we'll do it. It'd be fun. I think it'd be fun to do that sort of news story. A new new Ponzi scheme unveiled as three podcasters sell, t- sell $15 million worth of thin blue line NFTs to Miami-Dade Police uh, Department. <laughs> Sparking a, 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 a collapse in the pension fund. Oh, I am doing everything in my power to manifest that using the secret right now. Like I'm putting (laughs) so many vibes into the universe, just manifesting that reality. Listen, be the change you want to be see in the world. I know we got some witchy listeners. Some of y'all out there fucking around with chaos magic, you know, go burn some paper for us later. (laughs) We'll see what we can get out of this. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, let me plug real quick. I was speaking of virtual reality and all that. I was just on Jackson Palmer's podcast, Griftonomics. And weirdly, I mean, talk about, you know, uh, using using crypto, you know, evil things to try to do some good. Jackson Palmer is the founder of Dogecoin. um, And and but he has a really great podcast. And, you know, 
It turns out, like, you know, he created it as a parody and then it got away from him. Um, but he's long been a crypto critic um, and trying to do, you know, good critique, good satire, stuff like that. So I was just on his podcast, Griftonomics, um, along which also had, you know, some friends of the show on there recently as well, Molly White. Um, Cass and Bennett from Crypto Critics Corner. Uh, it's a it's a, a new podcast, but it's looking like a good one. Um, but I was just on there talking about virtual real estate, so we went through all this and a lot more. And Ed, you are absolutely correct that uh, we we both hold the same line that if the metaverse and and this shit actually ever does happen in any kind of serious way, it's going to be because not because there's like consumer demand for virtual real estate, but because some uh, uh, some boss some you know you know you know some university some other institution is telling us bro that's where your office is that's where your classroom is like that's where you gotta live now that's where you gotta learn now that's where you gotta work now uh you know you got no choice I would, yeah i would bet i would bet money that a vast majority of uh virtual real estate metaverse sales are business to business Absolutely. Consumers are not in- involved in them. And then when they are consumers, they're usually highly capitalized, like financialized and capitalized consumers. So like investors who have a stake in developing all this bullshit. Like I would just, I would bet so much money that no one other than these fuckers is putting anything near there. Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode 183 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. This is some prestige television doing like the intro 15 minutes in, 16 minutes into the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Rolling credits, rolling the title sequence, uh, you know, after the first act of the episode. folks for a beautiful beautiful show where we break down uh it's going to be a nice little uh commentary on uh, surveillance in the united states are we a police state <laughs> this and more at six that's right that's right on this episode of 60 minutes no yeah we could do that the united states has been undergoing an unprecedented period of corporate concentration and consolidation and markets as diverse as healthcare. Uh, policing uh, provision, equipment provision, um, private prisons, and now Roombas. We're here with Jathan Sadowski and Edward Onkwesso to talk about how Amazon's $1 billion purchase harkens the arrival of a new phase of surveillance capitalism, but not the Zuboffian conception, but just the <laughs> insertion of surveillance into more and more of your daily life for a nefarious purpose as of yet undetermined? Mm. I am uh, sorry to immediately correct you, uh, but it was a $1.7 billion acquisition. The manufacturer of Roomba, by Amazon. So yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's the big news story that we got to talk about. And we got to talk about it in the context as well of uh, Amazon's on a bit of a shopping spree right now. Um, Cause you know, not only they bought the, you know, headline making, you know, they bought, 
They bought iRobot, the company that makes Roomba, as well as, you know, a collection of other like home appliances, you know, smart home appliances and stuff. But it's primarily Roomba, the little vacuum cleaner that goes around your your home, whatever. They bought that recently. Um, but but then also like two weeks ago, they did buy for $3.9 billion one medical, which is a chain of primary care provider clinics. Um, giving them like their purchase of Whole Foods five years ago for $13.7 billion, which gave them a immediately uh, a huge foothold in the grocery business, a ton of brick and mortar stores, all of that. Um, you know, they bought one medical, which again, which now immediately gives them a huge foothold in the market for healthcare, a bunch of brick and mortar clinics as well, you know, networked across the whole United States. And now this $1.7 billion purchase of iRobot means that they are they now own the company that own that manufactures, sells, and and owns, you know, millions, millions of Roombas in homes, you know, all around the world. Um, and importantly, the data collected by them Roombas from all those homes around the world. So Amazon is doing Ed, you had a tweet a couple days ago. I think it was before this announcement, I think, of the iRobot uh, acquisition that the FTC needs a wetworks team. <laughs> um, and, and that is be, that is uh, more true every day than, than ever before. Yeah, I do think uh, I, they need they need a wetwork team. They need to get a little creative with the with the fines, you know, um, because it's not cutting it. Clearly, what's the what's the fine? What fine would happen if they illegally acquired one medical, and then in five years there's a review, and we're like, "Well, that was bad. You shouldn't have done that. That was illegal. We're gonna fine you forty two point five million dollars after you spent one point seven billion dollars. You know, they're just gonna eat that loss. But mm-hmm. you know, you can't eat the loss if it's a wet work team. So I don't know. <laughs> you know, Lena Khan, something to look into, something to uh, commission a, a memo on. And think about That's right. it. You you think you think you t- think taking you know a fine is going to do anything to them, or you think a finger or yeah. two might might Maybe, or, yeah. But then it's like whose finger? And it's like well, you know, corporations are people too. So you just gotta maybe what work this means sabotage. Maybe you just you know okay, if you want to acquire this medical facility, then uh, that's damn that's crazy that that the. Uh, that a server hub went offline. I don't know how that happened. That's <laughs> <laughs> shit. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, submit the next one to review or let us say no and block it. I mean, that would never happen, of course. Who was the fucker at Amazon that everybody called the sniper? Oh, Dave Clark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, he left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did leave. He did leave. Got passed over for CEO. Yeah. Well, that's too bad because uh, he would have had to had to look out for a sniper on his back too. Yeah, I mean, well, he's going to have fun wherever he's at now. He's going to be perched up on the executive board shooting at the workers. I mean, that's his. That's the shit that gets him up every morning. Who am I going to lurk and stalk like a pred- like the predator alien and fire? Well, which I, mean, yeah, I feel Dave, like is Dave a lot Clark of the freaks. did leave to, to head up uh, Flexport, which is a oh supply chain software and logistics uh, company. Um, so, you know, 
He's, he's just, he's in the same ecosystem, but we also, I also forgot that Amazon earlier this year completed its acquisition of MGM for $8.5 yes. billion, right? Like this yeah. shit is wild. You know, the, um, you know, reading some stuff about the, I, you know, coming out after the iRobot acquisition, you know, Amy Klobuchar, right? Who heads up the Senate's judiciary antitrust panel and it's kind of made that her big, her big policy platform now, you know, after her her failed bid for president, she's kind of pivoted towards being, you know, heavy on antitrust. And she's, you know, urged the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, to investigate the one medical acquisition. Other critics uh, are calling on, you know, regulators like the FTC to block the purchase of concern uh, or to block this purchase over concerns about Amazon's past conduct and potential implications for consumers' health data. That's the one medical, though. That 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 is like just one among a few of, sh- of the things that Amazon's been putting in its shopping cart recently. And, I, you know, I think that Amazon has something like $63 billion in cash reserves. So, you know, they've got a lot of money and now they're suddenly starting to spend it. And, you know, a while ago, we looked at the at Amazon's annual, you know, shareholder report, um, you know, from earlier this year. And and comparing that with data from the last, you know, during the pandemic, the, the last two years, Amazon has been ramping up its acquisition purchases compared to the, the previous, you know, few years uh, before that. And and it doesn't seem like that is stopping. It seems like that is, in, if anything, ramping up even more. It really, I think, raises a lot of questions of like, what, what does Amazon have planned? We talk a lot about their e-commerce kind of segment, right? We talk about the labor conditions in the warehousing, the technologies of, you know, the, the warehouses and delivery, the e-commerce stuff. We haven't revisited Amazon's other offerings and services, which are ever expanding in quite a while. And these things do not exist in isolation from each other, right? Like the iRobot uh, Roomba acquisition. It's not like it's iRobot's just going to now be like a wholly owned subsidiary of Amazon that offer or that operates as an independent company. It's now going to be, you know, Roomba, an Alexa product, right? Like that, like it's, it, this shit is getting pulled in. These devices are getting pulled into a broader network of Alexa, Amazon devices. You know, it's Echo, it's Ring, it's Roomba, it's all of this. Ring, which was also an acquisition, right? In in 2018, they acquired Ring for only a billion dollars. Now we can say that in some inflate, you know, some that 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 point seven billion dollar uh you know price increase for iRobot maybe that's some inflation talking but also maybe it's that Amazon has even bigger and better plans uh for how to roll Roomba into their network of of devices and and services uh compared to Ring and you know in the last four years since the, uh, Amazon's acquisition of Ring we can already see the shitstorm of privacy and policing and all of that other nightmare shit that has ensued after Ring became an Amazon product what what what, what could possibly be the future of Roomba um now that it's in the Amazon ecosystem of domination that's a good question as Jeremy said 
And before you, before that, we would be remiss to also forget that Roomba or iRobot got caught a few years ago, uh, not only making highly detailed maps of people's homes, but then selling that to third party, right? Now, Jathan, why would that be a problem? It's just a map of my home. <laughs> hmm? Oh, Lord. You don't want a map of your home? Somebody's already got a map of your home, Jathan. Like, what's the problem? Well, so I had a tweet. Uh, Ed is referring to the fact that I had a tweet about the uh, the I, the Amazon Roomba acquisition that, that blew up, went like, you know, super viral, which means that it, it attracted a lot of QTs and a lot of replies and a remarkable number of people in my in my mentions on that tweet. We're, we're parroting that line of like, who cares if Amazon has uh, floor plans of my house? What could they do with it? Or some of the, uh, the, the more idiotic people being like, well, you know, the count, the, the floor plans are already at the county records office. So if they wanted floor plans of your house, they could just go down to the county records and get that data. Idiot. My, my, you, you sweet myopic <laughs> fools. Uh, <laughs> People got to stop simping for corporations or they're going to find themselves working for free to pay off their debt like it's uh, the worry-free company and sorry to bother you. Yeah, but if you don't stand for a corporation, what are you going to stand for, Jeremy, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fucking corporation. <laughs> People I do, do think it's- love that shit, though. They love simping for for the corporations and the billionaires. You know, I see so many tweets where I'm like, "Did an Amazon write this tweet?" Yeah, I think it's it, one component of it that is also interesting to me. I think in the in the shilling for a lot of these corporations is that there's like always a contingent of people who kind of assume the best of these concentrations of capital, right? And I think like there's and this is we've talked a bit about how there's this overriding tendency to assume the best out of actors that like have no moral incentive right corporation has no moral incentive executives have no moral incentive most actors in markets have no moral incentive as do states right these things are just concerned with profit seeking law and order power with a variety of things whatever you want to uh, categorize them as that are anything but moral and they might be underwritten by some specific type of moral guidelines but like the, the arguments to say that we should assume the best in them are always in a very superficial way where it's like well why would they wouldn't do anything that would hurt me you know well it's like you know a lot of times they do things that hurt you because that's one way to extract you know a little value from you right it's not in your like what what is the benefit of having a detailed floor plan of your home constructed by a robot and then just sent off to it. I mean, like if it was so good, then why why don't you get it? You know, for example, right? Of course, that wouldn't make it okay. It wouldn't make it okay if the Roomba printed off your floor plan and then sent it off to uh, some third party buyer. But I mean, the whole reason why it's doing that is so that it can take advantage of that and combine it with other information or just sell it off, right? Just to make profits and figure out ways to make profits, to market things, you know, any edge that will allow it to turn even more of daily life into a commodity. And that's not good. You know, people feel an ick on a very basic and fundamental level, usually about encroachment of market logic. So it's just always weird when people kind of do the, they disconnect it from how they really do feel in their hearts, where they wouldn't want more things to cost more money or they wouldn't want more things to be commodified. But then say, well, corporations, those are good. I mean, they wouldn't do anything bad. 
Yeah. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is like, yes, I've, I'm almost giving way too much benefit of a doubt, but it is also, I think, just a lot of myopia. Like, they themselves do not think or cannot think and imagine, like, how that data could be valuable, right? Or understand what the data actually is, right? Because, like, a Roomba in its, you know, Roomba now has a smart maps feature. Like, instead of doing this in the background, they've just rolled it into a feature that you can opt out of. But, of course, opting out requires actually knowing about it uh, as a feature um, and also taking the time to... Uh, go into the settings, probably at multiple layers and menus and stuff and finding it and opting out. Like we, everything we know from opting out versus opting in as defaults is that uh, defaults are sticky, right? And if you make something into an opt out versus an opt in, the vast majority of people are going to stay opted in and it's going, and the, and the, the, the company is going to cynically interpret that as consent, right? Well, people didn't decide to opt out. Therefore, that means they've consented to us collecting these maps. But also what we know is that it's not just like floor plans, right? Like Roomba is not just interested in collecting floor, uh, you know, a blanket floor plan that you might see on like a real estate listing, you know, kind of architectural top down, the kind of thing that would be in a county records office, which, you know, in, even if that was the data Amazon was really interested in getting or some advertiser or some company was really interested in getting, that stuff is also really hard to get at, right? Like it's it's not as if you can just go to the county records and be like, uh, give me all of your floor plans, please. Um, instead, you can't request these records for commercial purposes. Uh, there's it's it's actually quite cumbersome to access these records. They come with restrictions, and all that is for a good reason to prevent this kind of blanket mass collection at scale for any purpose uh, that they want to use it for, right? So, of course, you know, that's what makes this acquisition and the data com uh, controlled by iRobot um, and the data that's going to come out of future uses of Roombas and iRobots, especially once it starts linking up to the Amazon ecosystem of products. That's what makes it valuable, right? But it's also not just floor plans that are being collected here, right? It's, uh, you know, it's detailed, updated, machine-readable maps of your present, of your past and current layouts with information about furniture, habits, devi other devices, all of that stuff, right? That's what these smart maps mean. They don't just mean a top-down architectural floor plan, uh, you know, done with a few more steps to buy a Roomba. This is, gets to a larger point, I think, you know, in terms of that response of people being like, who cares if Amazon has this data, right? It's like, no, it's because you, because you are not an engineer in Amazon, because you do not think... Uh, about data in uh, relation to many other sources and streams, you're only thinking about it one-dimensionally, about each data point in isolation. Automatically, a wrong way to think about this data, right? You're only thinking about your the data about your floor plan as a thing that exists in isolation, not in relation to other data sources and streams. Um, you, you're correct. Amazon does not care about you. No company cares about you. They care about us, right? They care about not your data. They care about our data, all of it in relation to each other and how that can be used 
for other purposes. And that is also the reason why uh, you are not an executive at Amazon because you don't spend every single day thinking about the most powerful and profitable, or in other words, evil use of that data. You are instead thinking myopically uh, about how you might use data about your floor plan, which is nothing. You wouldn't do anything with it, right? But that's but you are you do not have the capacity or the motivations uh, of a company like Amazon. So I mean that's these a lot of these responses of people who are like, who cares? I don't have anything to hide. It betrays uh, an inability to think like a corporation, which is what you really have to do um, to be able to understand the world, to understand these technologies, to think critically about how they operate uh, and what their consequences are or could be. Right? Is you have to actually put your 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 you have to put your mind uh, in the mindset of a corporation. If you if you've seen the the show Hannibal, right? <laughs> Um, very good TV show, but you have to be like Will Graham in the show Hannibal, right? You have to be able to uh, uh, put yourself in the footsteps of the psychopathic killers, the serial killers. You have to think like them. You have to um, it, you have to have powerful empathy with people who do not have empathy, in other words, right? Whether it's a serial killer or a corporation or an executive, all of them have uh, extremely high rates of psychopathy. Uh, you know, we know this through studies, right? That uh, corporations, CEOs, serial killers, what they all have in uh, common is, as Ed laid out, no moral compass, no moral motivations, no ability to empathize or sympathize with other people as people. That's what you have to do, though. You have to think like that when when you're thinking through uh, even something as seemingly uh, mundane or banal as Amazon acquiring iRobot, the manufacturer of Roomba. You know, you in, instead of being like, "Who cares?" or "I don't see how this is a problem," you have to you have to be Will Graham in Hannibal. You have to put yourself in the in the mindset of Amazon, of of Andy Jassy, of of, of uh, Jeff Bezos, of of a, a faceless. Um, corporation, right? And that's that's the perspective that you have to take to then understand why this matters, why we should care about it, what could happen, how could this uh, lead to other things. As we mentioned two weeks ago, Amazon also just uh, by sheer coincidence bought one medical. You know, of course, I am insurance pilled uh, right now, so I see the whole world through the lens of insurance, but. They're making it real easy for me. You know, we also know Amazon has been really interested in developing its own health insurance business. It was something that they were pursuing with uh, Berkshire Hathaway and I believe uh, J.P. Morgan Chase uh, was the other partner. You know, they they put the kibosh on that because after a few years of trying to look into getting into the health insurance business, um, it didn't seem feasible, but Amazon has also been rolling out other like Amazon care um, kind of health insurance for its employees. Um, and we, so we know that Amazon has an interest, you know, just because they put the kibosh on that one business uh, venture doesn't mean they've uh, decided to step away completely from 
uh, insurance provision. If anything, the purchase of one medical, you know, a chain of primary care clinics shows that they are more interested than ever into getting into the healthcare uh, business. Very lucrative market to be in. So is it a coincidence? Just one more thing in their shopping spree? Or I wonder, just for instance, you know, how could detailed maps of floor plans, i.e. people's living conditions, connect with data from Alexa or Prime, you know, the people things search for or shop for? How might that then connect with, I don't know, health insurance or healthcare needs? Suddenly, it starts looking quite obvious and clear, these connections, right? And suddenly those detailed floor maps, um, which also, as I say, you know, include things like your furniture, your habits, your other devices, right? Suddenly that doesn't seem so uh, banal in relation to other forms of data um, that Amazon has or will soon have uh, and other motivations beyond selling you a fucking consumer robot that uh, uh, vacuums your floor. I don't know. Like I'm seeing like the pieces fall, like it's fucking corporate Tetris, like as all the little pieces just falling down from the top of the screen, like form into place. And Amazon's trying to do everything they can to make these pieces form a, a four line. So they get bonus points or some shit. But, you know, I just imagine, uh, I don't know. I don't have a Roomba. I, I vacuum the old fashioned way, which I plug in my vacuum and push it around my, carpeted living room as often as I can. So I don't, you know, rely on one of these, but I don't know. Do they report, are they, are they Wi-Fi enabled? Can you control them with your phone? Do they report back what things that they vacuumed up? Like this mother motherfucker eats a lot of goldfish crackers. Let's put that on his shopping list for him. Cause it looks like he spilt a lot already shit like that. Or, uh, you know, are they going to report back to your health insurance company that you have a, an ottoman in the middle of your room that you've tripped over numerous times. And then, you know, if you trip and fall and break something, they're going to be like, well, you knew that that was there. Why didn't you move it? Why'd you move the hazard out of the way? Your iRobot Roomba told you that this is a a household hazard, but you didn't move it anyway. So we're not going to cover this. Exactly. And I mean, yes, these things are internet connected. Um, Of course they are. Of course they're networked. And you're exactly right. I mean, that is exactly the kind of shit that health insurers love to do and have been doing for a very long time is find reasons to not uh, pay out claims, right? Like to find reasons why it was your fault, why you were negligent, um, or you know, at the very least to find intervention points to be like, here's how you could uh, or should be living a less risky lifestyle. I, you know, in other words, one that makes you a better insurance subject. Right. Like you're, you're exactly right, Jeremy. Like the pieces are falling into place when you start laying it out. Right. And, you know, to talk about the, the, uh, the internet connection point, right. That yes, I mean, these Roomba devices are networked as well. And this gets to another thing that we haven't talked a lot about and has just been, but it's been kind of simmering under the surface this whole time is Amazon's sidewalk. Right, it's it's a planned mesh network that would use every uh, Amazon Alexa device, you know, Echo, Ring, now Roomba, you know, and, and everything else, you know, in its uh, kind of ecosystem of consumer goods. It would use this uh, as as nodes in a 
a, a, a local area network, right? A, a kind of low energy, uh, broad, you know, bandwidth network with the intentional purpose of cre- uh, of not only mapping your home, right, but be- but creating a, a mesh network controlled by Amazon through Amazon, uh, you know, protocols that use Amazon devices to uh, blanket entire neighborhoods, entire suburbs. And they've also been, they, yeah, I, I was about to add, because like earlier this year, they launched that, um, the uh, fucking uh, Amazon Sidewalk Bridge Pro, beautiful name, um, uh, that would, would extend it beyond your neighborhood into public like parks, into, into state parks, city parks, city centers, college campuses, workplaces, like pretty much anywhere that you can't convince people to put a ring device or an echo device, right? And and try to figure out other ways to extend this mesh market, uh, this mesh market. I mean, it is going to be uh, you know market of sorts, but extend this mesh network, right? So that even if Amazon devices are not saturating it, that you can have enough connectivity that it's still pulling in information and doing part of. You know, as we'll talk about this bullshit ambient computing or background computational and infrastructure ex- uh, extraction and data extraction that they. You know, want to figure out how to plug back into um, their operations, and it gets deeper, right? So, one of the, the first Amazon Sidewalk native project that was launched was, uh, you know, it was like last year, um, or or maybe even uh, longer ago than that. Amazon launched a, uh, a a product called Ring Fetch, which is a pet tracker, in partnership with Tile. Right, the little company that makes these like geolocational trackers that you can put on your uh, keychain to track your your keys, or as they have been used, put on people uh, without their knowledge to stalk and track them. Right, uh, and and also, I believe Tile was just recently acquired by the company Life Three Hundred and Sixty which is the maker of a quote-unquote family safety app, which, thanks to the markup, we know has been a huge uh, collector and seller of highly precise, near-real-time geolocation data of not only adults, but children as well. And they've been selling in that to whoever they want. Now, they came under fire by the markup recently um, for that, and they limited their selling of uh, data to just anybody and everybody on the open market for this geolocation, except I do know that they still sell this data to a company called Arity. Arity is a mobile analytics and behavioral insights company Founded and owned by Allstate Insurance. All of this shit is connected, right? Like, I feel like fucking Fox Mulder over here with my uh, uh, corkboard and red string the more we talk about this. But as you lay it out, the pieces just keep falling into place. So anyways, as I was saying, you know, with Sidewalk, right? Immediately, first native project is a uh, a pet tracker that is you know uses the the sidewalk uh, uh, you know wireless mesh network to power these ultra low power devices. They're called like this pet tracker, so it's always on. And thanks to being able to triangulate through different uh, node devices on this network, you can get highly precise real time tracking of 
things that are in this network. So the, 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 the way they sell it, right, is get this tie or get this fetch collar. So if your dog jumps your uh, backyard and is running around the neighborhood, you can just log into your phone and see in real time with precision exactly where your dog is in the neighborhood as long as uh, it's captured in the mesh, uh, you know, the sidewalk mesh network. Which, you know, if you live in a suburb of where people have even one, let alone, you know, multiple, you know, devices like a Ring or an Alexa or a Roomba now or any of this, that network gets stronger and grows uh, broader, right? And so how could that be, you know, how could it be useful to suddenly acquire a company, roll it into this, uh, you know, sidewalk bridge protocol, you know, a company that uh, has massive penetration in people's homes. Roombas are very popular. Um, How could it possibly be beneficial for Amazon to suddenly make its mesh network that it controls uh, much stronger and much broader than ever before. The possibilities here are absolutely endless. Uh, you know, when we're talking about creating a network that you control what devices uh, connect to it, what data flows through it, but then also creating really powerful capabilities for real-time, highly precise geolocational tracking, all of that stuff, right? It's absolutely insane. It is, it is also a bit concerning because it's like this. We've, we've talked a bit about, you've talked at length about, you've written at length about, you know, you can make arguments for improving computation and embedding it in more of society at large. But that if you're going to make that argument, we have to talk about who owns the, the, the computational infrastructure, who has a right to compute. Um, and what are the purposes or, you know, anything that's being produced or collected are, you know, what are the purposes for that, right? And in this instance, in every instance with Amazon's products, it's just mainly to uh, pull more information, right, for either its burgeoning ad business or for more products and services or for insight into other acquisitions that it should probably do and other ways that it can leverage its massive amount of re- uh, cash reserves or, or, you know, cash on hand or, um, you know, market power to enter new markets. Right. Which is why, you know, as we, you know, this, the, 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 the rhetoric and the ideas and uh, especially of them pushing into public spaces, it's really dangerous because like they're pushing into public spaces, but they're not pushing into public spaces so that they can enrich public spaces. They're pushing into public spaces so that they can eventually figure out how to privatize for them, right? How to offer some sort of product experience, a service overlaid on the private uh, good and service that eventually cuts into it, undermines it, degrades its quality and displaces it, right? They're not putting Wi-Fi in state parks or in public parks so that you can just have a better time at the park, right? It's almost certainly so that you can also have more access or more commodities sold to you there, right? Or so that they can, you know, even put up more infrastructure in the park itself, right? Or figure out ways in which they can put things around the park, right? So it ends up degrading the experience even if they don't directly encroach on it because now it just becomes another node in a network figuring out how to get another transaction out of you and how to generate more profit off of you, right? Which is, I think, deeply concerning because then it's like, what the point, like all all the, all these times we end up letting corporations decide the ways and the direction in which 
you know, our society should develop and what the purpose of various things is going to be socially. What are the purpose of public spaces going to be? Are they going to be places for you to relax? Or are there places for you to rest in between of market transactions? Like, are they going to be places for you to connect with people, to play and to have leisure? Are they going to be places for you to, you know, um, more directly submit yourself to a different type of commodified um, experience or services? And do, do you want that? Do you want public spaces to be protected from the market, right? And I think they should be. You know, the whole premise of this Amazon sidewalk shit is like, it's not even so much that computation needs to be everywhere. It's that you need to be constantly connected to the market. That's really what the underlying, you know, bit and premise of this whole operation is, right? It's not that, wouldn't it be nice if every single thing was responsive to humans and was computable or programmable? It's, you know, wouldn't it be nice if every single room you walked into had an opportunity for you to buy something that you just had a sudden want, desire, and need for? And wouldn't it be great if it were through us? Wouldn't it be great if your whole entire life was underwritten by us and every need fulfilled and constructed by us, you know? And that's, uh, that's deeply dystopian in a way that I feel should be transparent if people think about what is going on here. I just, I just imagine your Roomba refuses to work until you sit through like a <laughs> two minute long ad or something. Yeah. You, just, you ever, you ever watch Maniac? Yeah. No. You, you, there's this, uh, there's this very interesting little mechanic they had in there where, um, I, this guy uh, didn't have enough money, I think, for the subway. And so he had to um, sit and listen to ads um, and pay attention to a guy read him ads for like the entire ride. <laughs> and there were ads based on like his life and his demographics and his income data. So they'd be like personalized ads about how to reduce the amount of money you're spending on rent and how you're spending more money than you should be of, uh, you're spending like 66% of your income on rent. Wow. And then the dude goes, wow, that's a lot. And he's like, okay, here's a product that might help you reduce that. And at the same time, get you a place that you might like to live. And it's just like a corporate home, if I'm remembering correctly. You know, like brought to you by Netflix. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that uh, you guys are Amazon, stop listening. If you're listening, stop yeah. listening. <laughs> this is not for you. Turn, on, turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. Friends but, only, not enemies. <laughs> but yeah, friends only. No enemies right now. No enemies. Uh, but this has me thinking as well. What's what, what's a Roomba Plus subscription where you get the ad-free Roomba experience? Oh, so you know, instead of every time when the Roomba operates to vacuum your home, instead of playing an ad, uh, you know, you buy Roomba Plus so that it uh, you know, it, it's it's the ad-free experience. Uh, yeah, Roomba don't, Plus. Don't you got me thinking. We've already done this this bit on a cold open ages ago but it's like we we could just do it every every few weeks as a cold open <laughs> but the <laughs> the 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 passage from ubic um yeah. you know Philip K Dick's novel right where the door refuses to open until uh until Joe Chip puts uh uh you know until he pays it right and then he has this argument with the door about like no it's not a payment it's a gratuity right like it's a tip and then it's like well <laughs> yeah. actually if you look at you, the door is like you know well actually if you look at your contract it's not a gratuity it's a required payment and and like yeah that's the same fucking shit right <laughs> I can imagine a scenario where Amazon, where you have a Roomba Plus and it's like we noticed that you ran out of your medication five days early and you made a request for uh, more medication. We have five of those pills inside of the Roomba. Uh, Roomba <laughs> Plus members 
are able to get medicines and medications that are recovered in the process of cleaning their home for an additional $5 per medication. Add, add a few and, and wholly feasible. <laughs> and a few years ago, Amazon bought pill pack for $750 million. Oh, please stop listening. Stop listening. Do not listen. (laughs) Do not. I'm putting back the monkey paw. I mean, what 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 do you think is feasibly next for Amazon to buy? I remember five years ago when they bought uh, when they bought uh, Whole Foods, mm-hmm. Carl's Jr., the fast food chain, mm-hmm. was trying to like convince Amazon to buy them too because they were strapped for cash. Yeah, and Carl's Jr. was just like, "Buy us, buy us," you know, like sometimes make us nationwide. Amazon's buys are, you know, look if. I was a monopolist. I'd admire them. I mean, what was the Whole Foods buy? The Whole Foods buy wasn't just like access to a a whole group of buyers that were willing to pay extra prices and probably wouldn't mind having other promotional things tacked on that wouldn't mind signals that Amazon could do. They were already amenable to signals, whether it's organic types of foods or special types of packaging, right? This is all stuff that goes and maps over well with what, you know, uh, Amazon and who it's trying to target with its prime or trying to target with its products probably. But I think that also, you know, Amazon, when it got Whole Foods, got like a lot of fucking real estate, right? And that let it and will let it do a lot more because now you can set up those lockers. Now you can set up those those people as stores. And now you can also set up massive nodes in your network, right, that are also doubling as other parts of the system that you're trying to build out as a monopoly. So other buys that they do, uh, you know, that's a good question because right now we're seeing the bust of the, the warehouse bubble. So they're not really building out the warehouse logistics system as much as they were before. They're not when they were buying like dozens of warehouses and, and planning all these distribution centers across the country. But it looks like they're going to be moving more into also like, you know, data-driven services, or at least like figuring out ways to to leverage the huge amount of information they have into people and to other services. So I could see them doing more healthcare shit. I could see them doing more, you know, you know uh, attempts to, you know, support their, their healthcare, more stuff that's in your home, you know, more products that people are using to, to maybe aggregate or or consolidate all the information threads that they have throughout the internet, right? But specifics, no idea. There's a chain, there's a national chain in the US called Apria, and Apria is like a supplier for medical equipment, medical supplies. It's a career that I've had for I had for quite a few years. But Apria was there was a period of time where Apria where the uh, Medicare reimbursement was extremely high and and Apria was just flush with money. So they were going around to these mid-moderate-sized cities and buying their local medical supply companies and just absorbing them into their corporate entities. And it would not surprise me if Amazon is, or if Apria is trying to position themselves at some point or another to buy out with Amazon because that just kind of, that's almost like another fucking gem on their infinity gauntlet. Like they're fucking like corporate Thanos, you know, you just around collecting all these different companies and adding them to your collection and kind of round out, you know, like you were saying, Jathan, just the, uh, all the means to dominate the, the world, you know, corporate ecosystem. You've got an insurance company. Maybe you got a, uh, you have a grocery store. And I mean, I haven't seen anything about anybody talking about, uh, I robot. I mean, they make robots, right? 
they're not just a Roomba maker. What about filling out their, their warehouses that they don't have enough human bodies to work in anymore? Or maybe a division that makes drones for delivery so they don't have to pay workers to do those deliveries anymore. There's well, that's, a why lot they bought, like, that's why they bought Kiva Systems a while ago and turned it into Amazon Robotics, right? And that's warehouse robotics and iRobot is consumer robotics. So, you know, I mean, you're right, right? Like all of this is about like ever expanding through acquisitions there uh like amazon just doesn't innovate i mean this is also really uh, a, a big thing as well for all of its talk and uh, you know about you know being an innovator and you know being driven by innovation and blah 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 they don't really innovate they just buy they buy companies and then turn them into amazon uh products right like that's what they've done with ring now with iRobot, that's what they did with Kiva Systems. It's what they did with PillPack. It's what they did with Whole Foods. It's what they did with, you know, this and that and the other thing, right? Like, and it's very funny to see the things that they try to innovate, um, and, you know, that fall flat too, you know? Okay, you know, famously, right? Like, uh, you know, they tried to, uh, you know, Amazon Echo is a device that they created that is is their own creation. And it's a huge success, Right. Uh, you know, obviously they make stuff, but they make stuff largely through acquisitions or, you know, when they try to make stuff, it's like in the model of other things that already exist. It's very funny to look at something like what they what they tried to do with like Amazon's Astro robot that they announced last year. Right. They're like, you know, you know, still in like early. Right. It's like a thousand dollars invite only um, home robot assistant uh, that that's you know gonna follow you around. What like famously is gonna like call the police on people it doesn't recognize in your house. You know that kind of shit. Like, but that doesn't go anywhere, right? Like Amazon has no idea what to do with uh and with with its Astro robot. Like you know, cut to Amazon just quietly pushing Astro down the basement stairs after buying uh you know the iRobot Roomba maker, being like Astro, I don't even know her. You know, <laughs> like uh being like we're 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 actually all about Roomba now. You know, like they tried to make a thing uh, they know they recognize nobody wants to buy it. Nobody's going to be able to buy it. It's luxury surveillance, um, a hole in hole. So instead, just buy something that's already successful, already has reputation and brand awareness, already has market penetration. Ed said a minute ago that a lot of this is about connecting you to the market, and I think that's real. I think that's right, and I think that's a really astute way to frame it because a lot of times we, you know, we're talking about connecting you to a network, right? Like the sidewalk mesh network, right? These consumer devices, the you know, whatever they're connecting you to the internet or connecting you to the network. But Ed is right. That's all an intermediary for what you're really being connected to, which is the market. Um, and that might be through, you know, these advertisements and trying to induce you into frictionless consumption habits or whatever, you know, purchase stuff, right? The Amazon's already tried this with the things where the, that were like the auto purchasing buttons or the scales, right? That like, you know, if you're... Uh, cat food runs low and you have it on an Amazon scale, then it's going to automatically order you a certain amount once it reaches to a, a certain level of usage or whatever, right? Like frictionless consumer device uh, uh, or consumer habits and purchases. Um, you know, some of this as well as about creating analytics. I mean, like 
you know, uh, in, in addition to all of the, 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 the power and control that comes by owning and accessing and using something like a mesh network, like sidewalk, right? Like big retail malls like Westfields have been doing this forever with their quote unquote free internet, um, or free Wi-Fi, right? Where what they're doing is whether you connect to that internet or not, they are pinging off your phone's Mac address, right? A unique identifier that your phone is constantly searching for connections, whether even if you don't connect to the Wi-Fi, it's pinging off of that and using that information to then create the uh, retail analytics, right? Like how, where do people, uh, how do people move through the mall? How do they, you know, where is dwell time, right? Like, you know, where do they spend more time in stores looking at stuff? Um, what is the capture rate? You know, in other words, what's the rate of people who walked by the mall and then went into the mall? Right. Like all of these analytics that they use and generate in the background to better, uh, you know, target people, um, to, to design the layout of malls and shops. All of this is about, you know, creating again, creating ways for you to, uh, interact with the market. But in this way, it's the market interacting with you and you just don't know it. Right. Like, that's what all of this is really about. And I think, you know, Jeremy asked, like, what's the future of Amazon look like? Uh, you know, I always think about that, 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 that ultra viral tweet from a while ago that was like, you know, 10 years ago, oh, a Amazon, what a cute little bookstore. This is really nice. You know, I can buy stuff online, you know, 10 years in the future. Welcome prime citizen to your prime dormitory. Please enjoy your prime meal. You know, like, like that's, that's the rate here, but, Thinking more uh, short term, you know, Amazon is quite explicit and there was a really uh, interesting and long interview in the Financial Times from earlier this year, just April of this year, with a, a guy named Dave Limp, uh, who is the um, man in charge of Alexa's development. He's the executive head of devices and services at Amazon. So he, you know, led led development on uh, Alexa, um, you know, uh, is leading development on Astro, right? Like, you know, he's the guy that's been doing a ton of stuff um, in terms of Amazon's, like, not their e-commerce, but their devices and services offerings. And in this interview, he talked about what the future of Amazon looks like and that all of this is about creating a step towards a what he calls a new platform known as ambient computing right what is ambient computing i'm going to read um uh, his his answer right the the interviewer asked you know dave limp how would you define ambient computing it's worth reading his response in in full um to get a sense of what amazon it's heading towards what they want to create and how things like the acquisition of iRobot uh, play into that, but also how other things like the acquisition of One Medical, the expansion of Sidewalk, right? All of this other stuff that seems disconnected, I think is actually quite well connected through the strategy of ambient computing and creating, as I was talking about, right, like whether it's the parks and campuses, it's the healthcare, right, it's all of this is about creating places where ambient computing not only happens, but where it happens through Amazon's control and therefore keeps you connected, plugged in 
to Amazon's servers, networks, and the market that Amazon owns, right? So Dave Limp uh, says uh, about ambient computing, it, it, it's another user paradigm for how people interact with technology. We're all very familiar with the ones that we've had for a long time. You know, typing on a QWERTY keyboard with your laptop or more recently a smartphone. Ambient computing is another paradigm to interface with technology, but it's different in a number of ways. It's embodied by the fact that when you're around it, you should have to learn it. There shouldn't, or you shouldn't have to learn it. There shouldn't have to be a manual. There shouldn't have to be teaching. And that's true for young and old. And so when you walk into a room where an echo is and you say, turn on the lights, it should feel natural. There shouldn't be a manual on how you have to turn on the lights or how you play music. It also has the characteristic that when it's not in use, it disappears. And that has the very pleasant side effect of taking your head up out of your phone. And all too often, I walk into my home and my kids are scattered around the home and they have headphones in and their hands are their heads are in maybe one or two devices at the same time. Uh, and then they, the, the FT interviewer says, everyone's there, but nobody's there. Dave Limp says, yeah, exactly. And maybe that's a commentary on my parenting. But the fact of the matter is ambient computing allows you to pick up your head and enjoy moments as a family. So that's kind of the broad definition. In other words, ambient computing is another name for, for what used to be called ubiquitous computing, right? This thing that is invisible and pervasive, it's all around us. But now, you know, it's, it's, it's Amazon's spin on the ambient computing where it's no longer ubiquitous, but it's this thing that is uh, in a cyborgian way integrated with us, right? It becomes this thing that is always intermediating our relationship to the environment and other devices, but doing so in a way that it doesn't feel like it is. It feels natural. It feels invisible. You can create or, or reclaim these kinds of uh, traditional values of a family home where people aren't having their heads stuck in devices. In other words, the kind of active uh, computing, right? Interesting as well that we have heard very similar types of shit said by people like Mark Zuckerberg, which, but they use that as an, uh, uh, for them, it's about augmented reality, right? It's like, it's Ray-Ban stories, the Instagram glasses. This is exactly, exactly as if there's a single script that they all share that how Am, uh, Zuckerberg talked about computing uh, from a, a, an active computing, you know, your hand on your phone kind of way of doing it versus an augmented reality of an ambient computing that's always there. It is also exactly how Sergey Brin described the quote unquote emasculating effects of having to have your, uh, your, your thumb constantly twiddling on this glass screen, um, compared to the, uh, the, the, the masculine power of Google Glass, right? Like, th it, this is exactly the dream that all of these people, uh, these tech execs and billionaires and, and so-called visionaries of Silicon Valley are constantly trying to head us towards is, you know, recognizing this problem of the smartphone and providing us the solution. But the solution is an invisible, always on ambient computing that is, uh, controlled uh, on devices and networks and data streams that they own and that they feed to us. It's a market, in other words. It's a market that we never leave.
Ask yourself, why does this vision keep getting sold over and over and over again? I mean, how is it that the most inquiring minds, the most supposedly inquisitive minds, talented minds, foreseeing minds, you know, farther seeing minds, keep trying to remake ubiquitous uh, computing as ambient computing, keep try- and keep trying to privatize and reprivatize more of daily life, you know? As we talked about at length, I think part of the problem is that it's just there's really only one trick here. I mean, they can they can advocate for as many esoteric superficial details. The core vision is a pretty dystopian and diminutive one, which is where the human is minimized as much as possible and to a cog for profitable enterprise. And then all the other things that come about as it may be flavorable or fashionable, but only because they're amenable to making humans get along with the messaging, right? I mean, even the people who are purporting to do this for an ideal, for a socially useful or beneficial thing are really talking about in terms of consumption. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just go in your home and the light would turn on without you touching anything? Cool. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. What if like we had you, if we really wanted to do ambient computing, why don't we use it to help people take better control and care of their own communities and decentralize some governance and municipalities as opposed to just making sure that your home has better lighting. You know? Come on. It's just it's just like it's all made also as part of that move that you know Jathan's written about also with uh with with talking about how municipal governments gets it gets hijacked by some of these uh by these capitalists trying to try to enforce a specific type of computational regime, right? Divorcing people from political responsibilities and citizenship and instead presenting them as consumers um, also allows the corporation to step in and take control of most of those things, right? And now it's a corporation that's really doing the things that other individual people might have done as politics, right? Which uh, then reaffirms and makes maybe more likely a permanent order where inside your home, you're a consumer outside your home, you're a super consumer, right? You know, because you have to pay to be in what was supposed to be public space and you have to pay to interact with other people and you have to pay to do social relations. You have to pay to go to work. You have to pay, you know, to talk to, you know, to talk, to add, browse the internet, to do anything really that you are also told is necessary to be a person outside of your home. And then even to be in your home and even to be on the network on which your home will be forced to be on, right? All of this is such like a supreme attack on on the things that make life enjoyable as you're, if you're a person, that it is also hard to read these interviews and not get a little angry because these people either just don't see it or they just don't care or because they just have such a deeply anti-human view of the world that this is fine, right? And that it is okay to make everyone subsume to the market. It's just like this FT article is kind of wild. Um, you know, Dave Lee's a really great interviewer and just letting the dude talk and explain to himself, <laughs> explain, you know, look, I just believe <laughs> everyone should be a little cog of the machine, you know? Everyone should have a... Uh, a good little floating display and a nice little interface to the mesh network. And that's it. Yeah, exactly. Ambient computing and Amazon company. Right. You know, (laughs) I think the creators of the 1993 film classic demolition man got it wrong. It was Amazon that won the franchise wars. It wasn't Taco Bell. (laughs) Well, it was Taco Bell, a wholly owned subsidiary of Amazon.
Oh man. All right. Well, well, I mean, uh, yet another thing that we have to constantly keep our eye on, uh, is, and not get distracted by the, 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 you know, Amazon's nightmare of a, of a e-commerce, you know, warehousing logistics, um, but also Amazon's nightmare of uh, ambient computing uh, and all and its devices and services and shit. Like, like bring it back to the to the bit we you know started with in the episode where I am volunteering for the FTC's wet works. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll do it. I'll do my part. I'll do it. <laughs> we could just do like uh, one of those uh, the ads from Starship Troopers. <laughs> I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. And some little kid with a fucking Glock <laughs> just smiling at the camera, stepping out of line. <laughs> I'm gonna do my part. <laughs> exactly. Would you like to know more? Yes, I would. I would <laughs> like to know more. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> Children of America, do you want to do your part to protect yourselves from corporate overlords as adults? Yeah. yeah. The FTC's got a job for you. <laughs> <laughs> inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, all right. <laughs> let's let's call let's call an end to this episode. Um, the, the, you know, yeah, another thing we have to keep our eye on, uh, something we'll, we'll be revisiting again, um, uh, along with everything else fucking happening always and forever with that. You can find us as always at patreon.com slash this machine kills, um, for additional premium episodes every single week about these topics, uh, interviews with great guests, uh, analysis of important uh, topics, uh, all, all the good stuff, all the good old classic TMK stuff is found uh, more of it on Patreon. So find us there. Um, and until next time, see ya. Bye-bye. Adios. Adios.